Welcome to episode 32 by Fika with Rice. This week, I meet Steve Sims, entrepreneur, author, and founder, CEO of Bluefish. For more than two decades, Steve Sims was the go-to contact for the wealthiest people on the planet. As the founder of the world's leading experiential concierge firm, Steve utilizes talent for connecting with people and making things happen to develop a client list of the world's rich and famous. If you're looking for some inspiration to get started and level up, this is an incredible story on how using street smarts with no degree can make you ultra successful. Let's get this Fika started. This is Steve's story. Let's go. Steve, welcome to Fika with Rice. I'm excited to have you on the show. Our audience would love to learn more about the art of making things happen. We normally start each episode with some rapid fire questions. I'll make a statement and then you'll finish the sentence. Does that make sense? Okay, let's try. Yeah, let's do it. If I could go back to my 20 year old self, I would say nothing. He needs to learn how to recover from mistakes. I don't want to take that away from him. The biggest mistake I made when I was 20 something was not realizing that the mistakes I was making was actually education. The most common mistake 20 year olds do today that you see. Not trying. You've got the least you can lose when you're 20 years old. So you sh I should have been trying more things, um, but I wasn't because I was fearful. So try everything. Try different jobs. Try different industries. Try different passions. This is your time to try. Why do you think young people are afraid to try things? Because I, I can see that with my nephews and nieces. I'm like, do this internship. Do this summer job. And like, mm, no. I'm afraid of this. I'm afraid of that. Yeah, we're still carrying a lot of pre-generational uh, ideals, which is which is sad. You know, my my parents were the first children born from their parents that were in the war. So, you know, there was a lot of kind of like protect your food, look after rations. You know, we had that kind of ethos. And then my parents were like, hey, get a job, work at the same company for 40 years and then get a pension. And then my life, my world came along and we were the entrepreneurial generation. And now we're in a group. We're in a, a generation where people can make money from, from their laptops, whether it be NFTs, cryptos, you know, day trading. So I think we're still carrying a little bit of those pre-generational concepts. But today we need to try a lot. You have no idea what you're good at or what you like until you try it. Sitting there going, no, nah, I don't want to do that. I don't like it. How the hell do you know? Try it and then speak from education. Yeah, I agree. I agree 100%. That's why I encourage like all students to do internships and work experiences because yes. that's the only way to, to learn, like yeah. figure out what you actually like. So the best advice I received from my mother was. Oh, I had a bad relationship with my mother. So I hate to say this, but um, I, I don't have anything. Um, you know, we don't all have perfect families and mine was far from perfect. So regarding the best education I ever got from my mum was, I don't know, clean up your room. Sorry. Not a problem. I appreciate that you're vulnerable and open up about it, Steve. The best advice I've received from my first boss was? Well, luckily, my first boss was my dad. And my dad, I was working on the building site. And he once said to me, and it was completely out of context, and I don't even know where it came from. But he said, son, no one ever drowned by falling in the water. They drowned by staying there. 
And then he just walked off. And I don't know where he heard it from. I don't know what he was talking about. And I was stunned. But as I grew, I realized we have the choice as to whether or not we stay there and drown and wallow in our own pity or we get up and do something about it. So that would be my advice from my dad. How do you think it shaped you? Like, I have this follow-up question because I'm intrigued now with your poor relation with your mother. How do you think that has shaped you as a man leading up to all the successes that you have had professionally, so to speak? I noticed that my mum was scared uh, a okay. lot of the time. In fact, there's a um, I, I tell a story in my book about when we went uh, shopping in London. We lived just outside of London. And my mum would literally go up to Bond Street, which was our, you know, famous shops with all Gucci and Prada and Louis Vuitton and everything in London. And she would look in the window, but she would look in the window from the other side of the road. And I remember one day trying to cross the road because I thought we were going to go in and it was Gucci. And there were the handbags in the, in the windows. And she was kind of like doing this, looking at these handbags. And as I stepped off the curb, she yanked me back. And she said, no, 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 we don't go in there. That's for other people. She was so committed in her belief that, hey, we didn't do that. That was what other people did. As a young kid, I was curious, who are these other people? What do they look like? You know, why can they go in there and we can't? And I remember looking around trying to see these other people as though they were going to be blue or green or have big ears or something because she was so committed that it wasn't for us. There must've been some other species that were allowed in there. I think that curiosity made me go, hang on a minute. Why can you get in the VIP area of a nightclub? And I can't, why do I have to stand in line and you don't, why do you get to make those phone calls? And I, why? and it was that why, why, why that little kid curiosity that at the age of 55, I've never, ever lost. Stay curious. I love that. That's one, one advice that I got from my mother and from one of my biggest mentors as well. Like to never lose that curiosity and never lose that little child sort of soul yeah. that one that you have inside you. So maybe that's what my, maybe that's the biggest lesson my mom did give me without realizing and without articulating it. Maybe that's the lesson she gave me. Her fears were not my fears. Yeah, that's, that's a good one too. Yeah. Because we can learn, like sometimes we learn by seeing other people's actions or reactions, so to speak, yeah. rather than like listening to them. So, yeah. I wish I knew the following when I was 30 years old. The money doesn't make you happy. And that's going to, everyone's going to yell at that one. And yes, I have money and I'm able to do things, but it's what I can do with my money that makes me happy, not the actual money. A lot of people make money, stick it in the bank and then go, well, there it is. No, money's to be used. Money's to be enjoyed. Money's to be participated in. So it's not the financial amount. It's what you can do with it. Why do you think people... I would say, like, complain about that. They say, okay, Steve said that, like, okay, well, that's easy for Steve to say. Why do you think people have that type of attitude? Because I would have, you know? I remember when I was a young lad, all I wanted to be was a millionaire. All I wanted was a million dollars. I wanted to I wanted to have all of this money. And then yeah. you get that money, and then you realize, well, hang on a minute. What's it done to my life? I've probably worked very, very hard, probably lost relationships, um, lost days, lost hours of my life just to make sure that I could get this money. 
you know, it's not until you start doing something with that money that you start getting the joy. And it's a great realization. And a lot of people today, they think, oh, once I'm a millionaire, I can retire. You can't retire on a million dollars. It's absolutely no way in the world. You can't even get a one-bedroom apartment in Manhattan for that. So the whole idea of being able to kind of like retire once you made a million, that once you get to, you just go, crap, I've still got to work. But more importantly, I've got to pay attention. What's making me happy? What's making me smile? What can I do that really gives me joy? Yes, money gives you stability, but it gives you stability to be able to do the stuff you really want to do. When did you have that realization, Steve? Because like yourself, I grew up from very, very humble like uh, roots in Sweden. My parents, they were blue collar workers working in a factory. We didn't have a lot of material things, you know, so to speak. But in your case, was that something that did you always have that mindset that, okay, like money is a tool? Was it always like I'm chasing a million dollars? I'm starting my own business. I'm doing this and this. No, as I grew up, I never had a watch. So as I grew up, I wanted to have the best watches. Patek Philippe, Audemars Piguet. I wanted all of these watches. I wanted a fancy car. Now, you joked about me being a biker earlier. I don't have a car. I haven't had a car. The last car I had was a truck. And the only reason I bought that truck was to carry some of my motorcycles around. So I've been on motorcycles for all of my life. And I hope I die on motorcycles. But there was a time when I bought a car because, hey, If you're rich and successful, keyword successful, I need to have a fancy car. So I bought a Ferrari. I bought these fancy watches and I realized I was unhappy. So in my 30s, I was buying so many trinkets, anything that you would think was uh, a key to success, fancy wallets, handmade luggage, you know, tailor-made suits, tailor-made shirts. I had all of that stuff and I realized that it didn't make me happy. And luckily, luckily, I had people around me to support me as I made that realization that allowed me to go back to being the the guy on a motorbike with a black T-shirt and jeans, which is what I've always been. So the thing is, again, you need to make that mistake to learn from it. Some people may get handmade suits and go, hey, this is it. I love this. I'm only ever going to buy handmade suits. Good for you. But for me, I realized it didn't work for me. I was happier being comfortable in a black T-shirt. Leading up to the show, I did some research, found out that you lived in Hong Kong. I lived in Hong Kong as well. Um, and that's where we started, like, absolute internship. But what led you to Hong Kong? Because you grew up in the east part of, of London. Yeah, so I was a curious kid, and I had no money, and I had no mentors. Um, so I had no one around me that challenged themselves. I think it's very important today to be around people that challenge you. Don't accept you but challenge you. And there's a big difference. And I would be in the, the pub and I'd say to my boys, oh, I want to do this and I want to do this. And they would look at me like I was stupid. So I had to change my life. And a friend of mine worked in the bank and managed to get me a job for this new stockbroking company in Hong Kong on the main island. Um, so they flew me out there. I started training. I lasted a couple of days and I was fired because I just didn't know what to do. Uh, now, that was okay. And while it was a very tough period for me, because I'm now in a foreign country, no friends, um, they still gave me the apartment for a few months and they still gave me some pay uh, because they'd brought me over there and fired me. But now I had to go, well, okay, how can I do something about this? But I had no shackles. I had nothing holding me back. The sad thing is I ended up working as a doorman of a nightclub in Wan Chai. And then 
from that started to pay attention to people. My communication skills became really, really good working from the door of that nightclub. And I started to recognize who has money, who's pretending they've got money. And it became my PhD. I basically earned an MBA from working on the door of a nightclub on human psychology. It is interesting because, you know, you go to your website, uh, Steve, and looking at your business, you are a super connector. And in order to become a super connector, you need to have a very, very strong level of understanding of human behavior and human psychology. And that was one of my questions. Like, how did you become so skillful? And I understand now that's what's from working the doors at yeah, I realized in, uh, in Hong the, Kong. The trouble is today, people look at connections, and the first thing they do when they look at making a connection is they look at themselves. How do I look? How do I sound? How do I appear? Do I have a nice watch? Do I have a nice hairdo? Do I have a nice outfit? Do I have a nice car? They look at themselves. Connections are when you bring value to somebody else, and that person can bring value to you. It's a benefit. It's a mutual benefit. I've got friends that have no money, but they challenge me and they make me laugh. And I've got other friends that are very successful businessmen that interrogate me when I speak to them on what I'm doing to create impact and why I'm settling so low on my my grades. So you've got to have relationships to benefit. So stop looking at you and start looking at the solution and benefit you bring to a relationship. If you've got no benefit, and for me, when I was the doorman of a nightclub, I knew where all the nightclubs were. Before Google appeared, I yes. knew where all the best nightclubs were. I knew all the doormen on it. And I could say to him, hey, i got to tell you, Frederick, not tonight. Run down the road. Go into Jimmy's nightclub. Tell him Sim sent you. You'll have a good night. So I became a man that used my knowledge of nightlife to become an asset to people that wanted to enjoy nightlife. So that was it. I found out where my value was. And I went from getting people into other nightclubs. Then I would throw private parties, private dinners. It started off like a private dinner for eight people. And then I'm taking over a penthouse in Hong Kong and filling it with 200 of the richest people in Hong Kong. And then I'm working in Macau and Bangkok and Geneva and Stad and Monica. Just carried on going. And I've ended up working for the Grammys, Elton John, uh, the New York Fashion Week, Palm Beach Polo, you know, just Ferrari, Formula One. The list is huge, but I never stopped just climbing of how I could become an asset to you. Look at becoming an asset first and how your hair looks is irrelevant. There's a lot. I work with a lot of students, Steve, university students, and the all one I get somewhere in life. Let's say one of the most common questions that I get is, all right, Freddie, like, how can I network? So I, I'll pass that on that question to you, Steve. Let's say you are a 21-year-old university student or you're meeting a 21-year-old university student in London. What advice would you give him or her about networking and becoming a valuable asset to other people, like hmm. in your example? So it's funny that you asked me that question. And for anyone that can't see this video, I'm smiling now. Um, because I hate networking. Okay. I also think I'm terrible at it, okay? If there's a networking party tonight, anywhere in the planet, I'm not going, because <laughs> I hate networking events. So the only time I end up there is when I'm either 
speaking at the event or a client or a friend of mine says, please, please, please come. And I end up going along, but I hate it. People look at networking events as a lottery system and a turkey shoot. They run up and down the event, grabbing as many business cards as possible while getting to know nobody. So a networking event, you need to move with purpose. Now, are you an extrovert or are you an introvert? I'm an extrovert myself. All right. I'm an introvert. Okay. I don't like too many people. I love connections, but I don't like big crowds. I don't like going to a concert. You know, okay. it just, I like to ride my motorbike on my own with my wife, hang up here in the hills. You know, I'm, I'm quite a quiet guy. But when I go to events, and bearing in mind, I'm speaking at events with thousands of people. I'm doing events where I'm signing my books to you know hundreds of people. So I do lots of events where there's big crowds. But is I only do them if there's a purpose. And a that's purpose. the key. That's the key. If you're going to a networking event before you walk through the door, what's the point? What is the point of you being in that networking event? To say, oh, to network with people. That's pathetic. That's rubbish. Don't do it. Okay. You might as well just stand outside and just like grab people's cards as they walk through the door and hope it works. Plus the fact, if you think about it, networking events were, were where you used to go to get loads of people's details. I can actually go online now to LinkedIn or Facebook and get the exact same details. Now I don't need your business card. You know, if I want someone in oil and gas in Scotland, I can go on Facebook and get 400 people. So I don't, need, right. to go to, I don't need to go to a networking no. event. <clears throat> so when you go into that event, you're in there with a purpose. And the purpose is your chance to connect at another level. So whenever I go to a network event, I ask myself, who's the crowd and what's the point? So the crowd are, I don't know, um, farmers. And my point is, um, I own a company, Sims Media. I want to do more media for farmers, okay? So my point is I want to find farmers that want to, do to, want to do more digital marketing. I'm making this up now, as you can see. So my point, I've got my point. I've got my audience. Now I need to make the connection. So I will go in there. I'll order a drink. And I'll be like, hey, why are you here? You know, you... Could have been at home with the family. Why did you decide to come here? Oh, I wanted a network with a lot of people. Good for you. I'll move on to the next person. Hey, why are you here? Oh, I've got a problem. You know, really? What's your problem? Well, you know, I'm a farmer and I want to start getting branching out. <coughs> I want to do more digital marketing. It's funny you should mention that. So I move around the room to find the person I can connect with that, again, I can bring value to that problem. And that's the focus. So when you network, first answer, don't. You're looking to connect. And that's what you got to do. What's the point of me being in there? And who's the audience? And then walk into that room to connect. It's a very, very good way to approach it. When I go to this type of conferences and networking events, I'm not that type of guy that goes to collect 100 business cards because I totally agree with you. You can get that through LinkedIn or Facebook. Connecting on a different level, I think that's the key. And I think quality is better than quantity. Now, you can spend $1,000 for an event and you can meet people, but if it's enough that you connect with one and it can be worth your, like, your investment back. So, easy. Yeah, yeah, easy. But how about those students that are introverted, Steve? 
you you say you are introverted. There yeah. might be students that are, that are not feeling comfortable going to these events. They want to make friends. They want to make connections, forge relationships during their university times. What would you say to them? You're lucky. There's no good or bad. You know, you are what you are. It's like saying left-handed, right-handed is better than the other one. It's not. It's just the way it is. Introverts are usually shy about going to an event. Okay. They're shy. They're therefore looking at themselves. As an introvert, I'm speaking to you as an introvert now. I walk into those events only when there's a benefit to me. So an extrovert is kind of like, hey, I may meet someone. It's going to be great. I'm going to go and party. They don't have the problem with being shy. They just throw themselves in. But introverts will step into a room more calculative, more focused on the end goal. Why am I here? What's the point? I want to meet people that connect with me. So they're more focused on what they're trying to get out of the event. So I actually think in a networking environment, the shy person can often be the one that gains the most because they move with purpose. I don't want to talk to 200 people, but if I'm in a room away from my kids, away from my wife, I'm going to move into that room with purpose. What can I get out of this room? Who can I connect with that's going to benefit my business? And I work with purpose. You're a self-made man, Steve, and you grew up poor, but you had a clear vision and you went for it and made it. For those those listening who don't necessarily have it, like a life vision or objectives in life, what would you tell them? Like, how do you actually get a vision so you can actually start to make things happen for yourself? I didn't have a vision. I'm sorry to argue with you, but I didn't have a vision. Thank you very much for the compliment, but it's wrong. I had a fear. When I was working on the door, I -hmm. had no money. I had no friends. I had no prospects. Okay. I was scared of being that same person. I was scared of having no money, no prospects. You see, people move on fear. They either attack fear or they run away from fear. Okay. So with me, I didn't want to be poor. So how could I not be poor? I needed to find a way of not being poor. And I went out. That was my only vision. How do I not be poor? And my first thing was, and it's changed today. It's much easier today. But back then we didn't have, Tony Robbins, Jay Abraham. We didn't have any of these people to teach us these methods, okay? So back then, the only way for me to become successful was to do what you're doing, interview successful people. So I would get someone into a club. I would get someone into a party, not because I cared about the party, but because I cared about impressing the person, becoming a value to them so that I could interview them the following day and go, hey, Freddie, did you enjoy the nightclub last night? Great. Oh, I've been meaning to ask you, why did you start getting into shipping? How did that happen? And I would start a conversation and I would interview them. You see, today, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And in fact, there's a funny story that about eight years into my uh, being this Mr. Fix-It for the richest people in the world, I was still bothered trying to work out, oh, what do I do for a living? And my wife was like, you've already got a job. You're the connector to billionaires. (laughs) Don't you realize you've already built your own career? And I never noticed. Seven years. And I never noticed that we'd never missed a mortgage payment, never missed a car payment, was flying all over the world. But still, my focus was on, okay, once I find out what I can do, then I'm going to do it. Without realizing, I was actually doing it. But I never had a vision. I had a fear. 
What bothers you? What scares you? Are you happy being poor? Are you happy being stupid? Are you happy being uneducated? Then do something about it. You don't know where it's going to take you. And at your age, you don't have to worry. I would say that my 20s, my teenagers, I was a nightmare. I was a big lad running around on a motorcycle on East London. Not trying to be funny, but I'm not the kind of guy you wanted to meet. I did not know what I wanted to do. I did not know what I wanted to get up to. I was a pain in the ass just getting in trouble. In my 20s, I started to get a little bit of success, and I was full of myself. So I was not only uneducated and unchallenged, I was also arrogant with a little bit of money. In my 30s, I started losing money, and that was the good thing. I started losing money and realizing I don't know how to run a business. So now I was getting educated. I would say that it's only been since the age of 45, and I'm now 55, so it's only been the last 10 years that things have actually gone smoothly because I've learned all of that education from my 30s and 40s that I now put into power now. And so you don't have to sit there. And this is the problem with people talking to youth. You don't need to know what you want to do. Who gives a shit? You don't know what's out there. You don't know what's possible. You think about what didn't exist five years ago. You know, NFTs, crypto. What didn't exist 10 years ago, 20 years ago, the internet. So what's going to come up in two years, five years, six years, 10 years that you're going to be exceptional at? You don't need to know the answers today, but you do need to be aggravated enough to go forward. And that's it. Yeah, I agree with you, Steve. I think young people today, especially people in the 20s, you know, you don't need to know what you want to do with the rest of your life, you know, but you need to at least ask yourself, you know, am I happy with with being uneducated, being in the situation where I am right now? living with my parents or living in the student dorm, whatever you're living, and then figure out, okay, what type of actions I need to take in order to move forward or try something new to figure out what I actually like. 100%. You know, I've got three kids and I've seen it. All the schools are saying, well, what do you want to do? Get out of school, get into college, get into debt. All of my kids have just rejected it. They've gone, no, I don't know what I want to do, you know, for the rest of my life. So, you know, good. Get out there, just play. How old are your children, Steve? Well, my eldest is uh, twenty, coming up to 25. And he was an engineer. He went to college for like, I think about a year doing engineering, then flipped into the medical industry and then decided to just pull out of college altogether. And now he's the co-founder in Sims.media with me. And he's a very, very good technician for digital. My youngest is... My youngest is 16, and it's ridiculous that he's doing so well. Actually, 17, sorry. He's doing so well in the world of NFTs. The kid's making money on flipping NFTs and the crypto world and the blockchain. And it's incredible to see his hustle on something that I know very little about. And then my my daughter, she's still trying to find her way. So she's just trying everything. And you can. When you're that young, just try things. I like to say when you're young, you your biggest commodity is time. Yes. You don't have a lot of money, but you have a lot of time. When you're like 30 plus, 40 plus, you have more money, but you don't have time. So, so it's that add, balance in life. To add to that, you also don't have a lot to lose. 
You see, I I pay for my kids' education, my kids' medical bills, my family's health care, my family's mortgage, my my motorbikes, my you know, my wife's car, my travel. I have a lot of things that if I stopped working tomorrow, there's a lot of people depending on me. Yeah. But when you're 20 years old, if you lose a thousand bucks, who cares? You know, you're still going to be fed. The lights are still going to be on. Your parents are still going to look after you and then go and get it again. So I think it is moment of time. Now is the time for you to risk being happy. Yeah, I love that advice. From your book, but also from this conversation, like and based on the questions that I'm hearing from you, I find that you're very self-aware, Steve. There are a lot of deep questions that you ask yourself in the book, but also questions right now that you're saying in the show here. One question that stood out from the book is like, are you afraid of growing or enjoying something new and different? Or how do you know what to do now so you wind up in a good place later? How did you become so self-aware, Steve? Again, it all stems from that curiosity. The curiosity would introduce me to food that I've never tasted before or could never even afford before. And then I would discover that I didn't like it. And the thing is, that becomes experience and education. And so as I started being this student, because I'm not an expert of anything, as I became this student of learning, what do I like? What don't I like? It urges you to try more things, try different foods, try different music. I listen to different radio stations uh, from across the world just to work out whether I like this music. I can only speak from a point of knowledge once I've actually endured an hour of, I don't know, Norwegian rap. But it's crazy. It's crazy. People think for you to stretch yourself and grow, it's got to cost a lot of money. It hasn't. You can try different foods. You can try different beers. You can try different music. If you constantly try different things, even drive home, a different route. If you keep telling your mind, we're going to try something different, your mind becomes open to doing things different. And it was that curiosity and the benefit. Every now and then I would try something and I'd go, oh my God, I love this. And I wouldn't have discovered it otherwise. So that's it. It's, it's that curiosity. And you, you get addicted to it. Now, it's true. I'm very, I agree. I'm very happy now financially in my, in my life, in my world, in my relationships, but I'm not going to stop trying because to stop trying, you stop growing. And my fear, again, I move with fear. My fear is in six months time, if I haven't tried anything, then I haven't grown. So, you know, in, in two weeks time, just to give you a silly thing, two weeks time, me and my wife, we're doing a cooking course. Now, I've That's never amazing. cooked this food, you know, but hey, I'm going to know after that cooking course, one, can I cook? And two, do I like this food? Um, so we're just constantly trying different things. We go to different museums. We go to different plays. You know, we just try different things. We don't have to be a fan of it. In fact, sometimes it's better if we, if we know nothing about it no. just to discover it. We went to a museum a little while ago to see um, – uh, Japanese modern art, okay? Now, I'd seen a little bit of it before, but, you know, I didn't know much. It was incredible. It was absolutely earth-shattering. And then we went to Florence, and we went to the Afutsu Gallery to see Renaissance, which everyone talks about the most amazing art. 
I like the Japanese modern more. Now, I couldn't have told you that had I not done both and become qualified to be able to give you my opinion. It is true. I, I read this book um, a while ago about the art of learning. And it's so important to maintain this white belt mentality for everything. Yep. Yep. And I've seen that. And, you know, I'm not surprised to hear this from you. I've seen that from a lot of very successful people. I'm not talking about only money, like could be successful career-wise or in sports or whatever. But people are very, very good at their craft. They have this curiosity to always keep their mind open and try new things, travel to new places, uh, get to know different cultures. Like you were saying, you're 55 year old and you're going to this cooking class in two weeks. I think it's beautiful. I think it's great because I think a lot of 55 year olds, even 25 year olds or 20 year olds, they might be like, you know what? I'm not going to go to a stupid like cooking course. You know, that's ridiculous. But then how would right? they know? How would they exactly. know? Exactly. Exactly. You actually, so do you have a martial arts background? I, I do a little bit of Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Jiu-jitsu, right. So yes. when I was a when I when I was a kid, um, I used to I used to get into fights and I wouldn't always win. So I started taking up um martial arts. I took up a, a style called Wushu Quan, which yes. was Chinese, which was Chinese kickboxing. And you mentioned about the white belt mentality. So when you turn up you know nothing, you know, you're getting punched in the head. You don't know what you're doing, but your learning curve is pretty quick. Yes. When you get to a black belt, then it's fine tuning the basics. And I got to a black belt and I Congratulations. felt Thank you. And these guys would come in the gym and I would be able to handle them and it'd be no problem. And I was pretty good, you know, in that sandpit, in that, in that dojo. And then one day, a friend of mine said, look, we got to try going to a different dojo to see if anything that we've learned is any good. Because when someone walks up to a black belt, they become scared to try things on that black belt. So it's a little bit, if it's two white belts together, oh, they go crazy. If it's two black belts together, they go crazy. But all of a sudden, there was this intimidation that I was the black belt. So I wasn't getting that commitment. I was getting that fear. So... I remember a friend of mine uh, said to me that there's this guy around the corner that uh, has a, a a weird kind of gym and it was freestyle um, freestyle karate. And it had all elements. Basically it was like the, the early stages of MMA. It was a bit yeah. of everything. So I remember turning up at this gym with a friend of mine and I'm sorry about this story, but it'll, it'll explain it. And I turned up at this gym, walked into this gym and there's everyone there sparring and working out. And I'm a big, ugly fella, and my buddy was even bigger than me. So we walk in there, and we're kind of like, you know, we've got the swagger, you know. And it's like any gym you ever walk in, any playground, any new office, you know, you always get those people kind of like looking at you, trying to check you out, you know. And so I'm kind of like, you know, acting a bit of an idiot. And the uh, the instructor runs up to me, a guy called Von Peplo, and he's like, hey, guys, how you doing? You know, uh, can I help you? And Mick turns around and says, yeah, you know, we, we've heard about your dojo. You know, we, we got this over here. And I turned around and I said, yeah, 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 I'm a black belt. And he said, congratulations, that's fantastic. How can I help you? And I said, well, I wanted to come here and try a different styling. I want to get another black belt. And he went, brilliant. Hang on a minute. And he ran away, which I thought was weird. 
came back with a little bag, opened up this bag, and in it was a black belt. And he handed me this black belt, and he went, there you go. Now you've got another black belt. Now would you like to learn how to fight? Oh, wow. Now, there, nev- there wasn't a lot of people early in my life that changed my mentality. Oh, but wow. far too often, we're focusing on the thing that doesn't really matter. And when we went to that dojo, after being with him a little bit, I realized that no one in the room wore belts. Everyone was a student. Um, I don't even know how we had that black belt in there. I never asked him. But you see, today, we're focusing on getting a million dollars in the bank account, or we're focusing on getting a house on the beach, or we're focusing. Why? Just stop and ask yourself, do I want a house on the beach where the salt air is going to corrode everything in the house? Or do I want an apartment? Or do I want an Airbnb and be a nomad around the planet so I can just travel? You know, what do I want a million dollars for? You may only need 500000 You may need $751,000. You don't know. So I ask people today not to focus on this, but to focus on the why. I love that story, Steve. I love that story because I think there's a lot of problems, like a lot of people, not only people in the martial arts space, but I think people in general, especially young people right now that rise to success very, very quickly in whatever field they are, or they might be very good at school and have like really good grades and that they come with this ego. And I think martial arts, like this master or this instructor that you met, helps people remove that ego and helps people and educate people and like seeing life in a very different way. I know that my professor, he's been telling me that, you know what, Freddie, for every belt graduation that you're going to get to, the harder it's going to get. And the hardest one is going to be the black belt. It's true what you're saying, Steve. Lower belts are a little bit more nervous against black belts. But you know what? Everyone wants to beat the black black belt because they want to prove themselves. And they said the black belt is the hardest one. So it's the hardest one to um, gain. It's the hardest one to live with because the, the, the pressure is huge. So for me, I love the fact that I'm a student and I make mistakes. I'm no expert. I may be more qualified because of my mistakes in certain areas, but I'm no expert. I've just, I've just tried more times than you and probably failed more times than you. And that failure is the education that I needed in order to make something else successful. So I like being a student. Me too. I love being a student of life. So you work with a lot of wealthy people, celebrities, you mentioned at this chat, what has that taught you about wealth? Besides the lesson you spoke about earlier that, Money doesn't really matter. It's a tool. What what are other really important life lessons that you would like to pass on to to younger people out there in the audience? And what has it been like working with people like Elon Musk? What has that taught you? It's it's strange. There's so many of them carry the same kind of thing. They don't look at money. Okay. And this again, please for anyone out there, just listen to this for a second. They're not focused on the money. They're focused on what it does for them. So they're focused on the fact, and bear in mind, any people that I've dealt with, whether it be Branson, Bezos, Musk, they started from a place of having no money, okay? They didn't want money. This was the weird thing I discovered. They didn't want lots of money. They wanted lots of comfort and ability to make decisions. 
So they wanted that money. So they had to stop. They could afford to stop staring at that mortgage, staring at that car payment. Because at the moment we go to work and we're like, oh, I've got to work because of my rent, because of my phone bill, because of my car payment. Okay. But when those things are covered, now what do you want to do? And so a lot of those people, hey, I want to get to a, a point in my life where I can focus on what's really important. And what's really important is impact. Who are you looking after? Who are you helping? What are you creating? If your impact is to make more money, hey, that's fantastic. But now you're in a position where you're not worried about here. Can you imagine yeah. you're driving down the road and the only thing that you're doing as you're driving down the road is looking in the right-hand side wing mirror, okay? It's going to stop you from going forward. You're going to end up just going around in a circle, aren't you? It takes your focus. So once you've got that focus gone, you don't have to worry about the day-to-day. Now you can focus on your impact. And the most successful people in the planet all know the exact same thing. They can make more money, but they can't make more time. So for that reason, every time they've got time, they want to go, okay, what's the most impactful way I can spend these two hours? Is it reading a book with my child? Is it, they're not going to, see, this is the daft thing. During COVID, I don't know any of those people that ever asked me what they could watch on Netflix. Yeah. But if you remember during COVID, everyone was like, oh, you know, I'm going to binge watch Ozark. I'm going to binge watch, you know, they sat on their ass and they did nothing. Did you know during COVID, more millionaires were registered in that two-year period than any other time in our life? Oh, did, wow. Did you, that's a no, true fact. That. More millionaires were created during COVID than any other time because entrepreneurs, we're a little bit freaky, okay? When something happens to us, we look at it and we go, okay, where's the benefit in this? How can I make this happen for me and not to me? We look at things different. On a rainy day, we start selling umbrellas. You know, so during COVID, I launched a media company. I started focusing on my podcasts more. I started doing more Zoom calls. I started reading books on education that could help me do more stuff with impact. It was my greatest financial years. Now, anyone out there bitching, oh, woe is me, shut up. Don't care. You have the choice. You have the choice. I'm not here to do it for you, but you have the choice as to whether or not you can do what you need to do to give yourself an unfair advantage. I didn't have mentors. I didn't have people with money. But today, just listening to your podcast, Freddie, just joining Facebook groups, just buying books. You've got so many advantages to give yourself an unfair advantage that you're the idiot if you don't take it. I agree. And there's so much free education out there just through YouTube, Spotify, yeah, podcasts, like just you name it, libraries, old school books. So you've got to be careful because there's a lot of scam artists out there. There's a lot of people trying to sell you a course for $9.99. Use your intelligence, you know, but get out there and listen to people. Just imagine if you only consumed free. I've got a free Facebook group called an entrepreneur's advantage. I don't sell anything on there, but I just spout. I just talk about things that bother me, different programs I'm trying. 
just imagine if all you consumed was free information from Jay Abraham, Tony Robbins, any of these people. Just imagine how much smarter you could be just on the free shit. Just focus on that. It's true. It's just about improving 1% each day. You don't have to become like 50% smarter tomorrow, you know? <clears throat> correct, correct. Steve, it's been a pleasure to, to have you on the show. I really enjoyed our conversation. I really mean that. Where can people find you to learn more about you? So as I say, I've got uh, an Entrepreneur's Advantage Facebook page. Uh, that's a free free page. But uh, Steve D. Sims, there's D for dashing, and there's only one M in Sims. Steve D. Sims, either .com or Steve D. Sims, anywhere that you consume your media. I'm Steve D. Sims on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Steve D. Sims everywhere. Amazing. Thank you, Steve. Everyone check out Steve's book as well, Blue Fishing, The Art of Making Things Happen, wherever you buy a book. Thank you very much, Steve. Take care. All right. Appreciate it. Look out yourself. Bye. A lot of gratitude for listening to Fika with Bryce. I really mean that. If you like the show, I would love if you can leave us a five-star review, whatever you're listening to your podcast. It helps us so much to get the word out there to other listeners. If you have any questions or any feedback, I would love to hear from you. I'm just a DM away on Instagram or TikTok at Freddy Van Hyun. So... Looking forward to hearing from you guys. Thank you so much.